Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time to share your story. Welcome to Revealing Conversations with Patron Nicole. Heart-led discussions that reveal, release, and unveil. You will leave this hour lighter, brighter, and inspired. And now, here's Patron Nicole. Welcome and happy Tuesday. You have reached uh, I am so happy that you're here with us today in Revealing Conversation. It's a gorgeous day in Lake Oswego, the sun is out, and we are having a wonderful day. Today is election day, and my, my interviewer is on the other side. Can you mute yourself for a minute, Gavin, before I introduce you? Because I'm hearing a bunch of background sounds. Okay. There. So if you compute it, and I am so excited uh, to have this uh, wonderful opportunity today to interview someone very, very special. We had a, a book signing in Roseburg, Oregon. Um, that was on Sunday, and the turnout was amazing. So thank you, everyone, that came to the book signing at While Away Bookstore in Roseburg on Harvard Street. That was extraordinary. And after that, we had a party at our house in Roseburg. We had friends I haven't seen in 20 years playing live music, a pianist by the name of Ray, and he played what is called a double flute, which was quite hypnotic and wonderful. So I remembered again why I love live music so much and why I love doing parties that involve uh, live music with people singing along it really lifts the spirit, and it's uh, very, very special to have people with that talent in the room. And I wished often that I had carried on my piano practice. I bought a piano and started practicing and gave up, and I don't know how many of you out there listen, as maybe you are in the same boat, or maybe you actually practiced and practiced and followed through and became a, a, a great musician. But for me, I, I wish I had not given it up, and I might take it up again. So how, how is that for an incentive? Uh, today, I get to interview uh, a new acquaintance, a new friend by the name of Gavin Fry. He moved here to Oregon from Los Angeles, and we met at a gathering just last summer. And uh, Gavin is a licensed psychotherapist and has been a mentor for 35 years and works primarily via the Internet with people from all around the world. He specializes in powerfully assisting clients in navigating their healing and awakening process with a soul-centered approach to counseling. He's also designed and facilitates an 11-month transformational workshop series that is entitled Soul 
self-centered living. Gavin's work has often been characterized as a process of assisting others in coming home to themselves. He brings a wealth of training and rich life experience to his work along with his signature vulnerability, joy, compassion, and dedication to be living at the frontier edge of his own personal journey. So, Mr. Gavin Fry, are you on the other line? Hello. I am, Petra. I'm right here with you. Hi. So, Hi. So, nice to have the show today. We actually spent the whole weekend together, so here you are. Yeah. And we get to talk about your life. So I'm so happy you're here. So tell us a little bit about um, one of the things that I heard you talk about is your challenges, your own life challenges. Some of them have been quite painful and lessons that prepared you to support others in their own healing and awakening process. So can you share a little bit about your life with us? Sure. My particular beginnings, I was the youngest of three, and my older sister, when I was about 10, she began being a heroin addict for 17 years. My older brother at that time, while I was 10, he was 15, he started a life of crime, and he just really went all the way. He became a a gang leader, white supremacist gangs in the prisons, and he killed a lot of people. So my teenage years, while all of that was just falling apart and my parents were decimated, were really the darkest of my life. And little did I know, though, that that it actually would catapult me towards psychology, spirituality, and really coming out from underneath what was a very, well, gosh, suffering time. So um, since that time, I, I was fortunate to find my gift I just love being invited deeply into people's inner selves, their consciousness. Every person is extraordinarily unique. And it's been really helpful to touch into the heart where compassion for the suffering I went through was really needed by me. And I also touched into a great deal of wisdom. And I'm very fortunate to be able to help other people do the same. Well, Gavin, I, I cannot even imagine what that must have been like for you as a little boy or as a young, um, you know, teenager to uh, to have siblings, you know, on, on heroin and have a sibling that's a white supremacist leader uh, doing all kinds of crazy things in the world. <laughs> so uh, how did you how did you actually, like when was the first time you were interested in, psychology and, and decided that that was the route you were going to go. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was it happened to be a very fortunate connection with a teacher, a psychology teacher named Mike Gardner at at Valley College in Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley. And he was just lit up with his own aliveness and he transmitted. It's like he woke that in me. It's as if I knew him, I knew this world I found something golden, and that was when I was 21. I just turned 60. For 40 years, it's just been my passion. How do humans work? Yes, we're divine, but we're also remarkably human. How do we learn how to live our lives and hold our own hands? 
how do we how do we forgive and how do we let go of suffering? How do we find our joy? I mean, there's just an array. It's like we're a huge trees that have you know the roots way way down inside, and then we've got strength and we've got branches that go up. But most of us haven't really learned what's really going on in the world and with us. So the other thing that really helped me was that when I was 26, I began to understand there was a such thing as a spiritual dimension or like, oh gosh, that like the universe is really at its core is love. And to be able to start connecting to love is like the center of the mandala just really feeds everything else. Just feeds everything yeah. else. So I've been in a courtship with myself and the people that give me the privilege of working with them ever since. Um, so there's a start. So, so that's that's incredible. So did you, through all of this, actually have a... Uh, you must have been quite close to your sister and your brother. How did you actually work through all that of, of being, you know, knowing what was going on with them and having, having that information, but at the same time, you know, how do you stay close to your siblings in that way? Well, it's interesting. I never really was close to either of them. They were seven and five years older, and it turns out in this was clarifying for me, but they had a different father, a father who was very mean-spirited and beat them when they were young, and then he had died, and then my dad came in and married my mom and took on, you know, the two, you know, my brother and sister, Michael and Kathy, and um, and then they had me, so I really never did have much of a close relationship with my brother, because he was pretty mean-spirited to me, and also, when he, he did come out the other side, he had a religious conversion after his 15th year while I was in prison. And he completely just transformed within minutes and became this kind, wise, giving, playful man. They let him out of prison early, and he worked in a church with youth for a while, a long while. But he, he had an autom- automobile accident and died. My sister did come out of the heroin. You know, she's, you know, she and I are not really close, but she lives here in Salem. We've seen each other a couple times. Um, but they, they really chose more of a fundamentalist religious path, which is very hard to dance with. And that's okay. I've, I've made peace that I'm not supposed to be close with my siblings just because they're my siblings. I can I can relate to that because uh, I left uh, Germany when I was um, only 17 years old and moved to England and then lived in India and Paris and then came to the United States and I always often ask that question why am I not you know with the family or the family yeah. really why I chose that path but it was my path yeah. so it was yeah. your path that you had to choose and. So it was. Uh, it must have been quite mind blowing for you to observe your brother as a um, as coming from such destruction to then changing to this very loving, giving person. Yeah, and it, as 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 things unfolded, what was amazing is 
he went to this church where he was an elder in the church, and he worked with teenagers. He still had all of his tattoos. and But you can imagine if you were in that church and you were 15, and here's a guy who's got this story, and he's telling you, and he, you know, he's not kidding around. This isn't theory. It's just like, this is where I went, and this is where I then came back. And when he died in an automobile accident, there were easily 400 people at his funeral, and 100 were teens. I've never seen teens in so much grief. It was just like mm. a life force in their life just vanished. That told me how deeply he had, you know, opened to his heart and stepped into their hearts, supported them before he went. Hmm. Wow. That is quite yeah. a story. Somebody should yeah. make a movie about that. <laughs> that is, <laughs> well, such, an, such an inspiring story. I love stories like this. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is that when I started college, I'd go to psychology classes. The reason I liked psychology classes is because they were mostly women, and they wanted you to talk about your feelings. <laughs> and I was willing to do that. But I would remember talking and telling them my story about my my brother and my sister and our family, and their jaws would drop. And really, I went, why, why are you having such a strong response? It's like I didn't really know how much horror I had faced, and it was horror, and it was... It was it was just suffering for so long that just went on and on. And I I learned that wow, I had to go back to find that young ten year old and walk with him through a lot of his experience and really be caressing his forehead, telling him I loved him, acknowledging him for surviving, all of those things to build a relationship with the very human place inside of me that was terrified and just buried during those years. You know, uh, what I what I love uh, about that, Gavin, about the story, I, I teach in emotional energy therapy. Mm-hmm. The things that uh, always fascinates me is how we can actually go back to that place between yeah. zero and seven years of age and yeah. actually make those, um, amend those things that have so affected us, they could potentially put a big cloud over us. Sure. Uh, Gavin, can I ask you to take yourself out of speakerphone because we're getting a lot of static. Yes, yes. And and I'm going to do the same thing because we're getting, I'm hearing just so much. Let me see. Yeah, this this is way better, I think, for the listeners because it's going to be recorded. Are you there? Hello. Is that better? Is that better? Way better. We had we had a massive Good. amount of static there in the background. Good. Yeah. I'm very sorry. So, I'm glad it's clearer now. Okay. Very good. Very very good. So mm. I so I have tons and tons of questions for you. So the sure. first one is we have very similar life paths. I had also some mm. uh, you know situations in my personal life. And when uh, those happened, I went back into it, of course, studying psychology because I thought that was the way and the pathway to get through yeah. some of that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. that's how I ended up uh, being a teacher and teaching meditation and emotional processing, etc. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for you, where, where, so what exactly did you do in Los Angeles? Like how did you get started 
in psychotherapy and as a mentor for so many people? Well, I started my, my bachelor's degree, and I knew it was psychology, and then I went into my master's degree, and I was trained to be a counselor. I could go off and start my license, but I was so not ready because the nature of the education at that time, and to a large degree still today, was very academic. During that master's program, bachelor's and master's, there was no experiential work, no no therapeutic work within myself. And so I still had so many unresolved issues and so much pain. It's so misunderstanding. And so one day a friend of mine invited me to a party with a group of people he'd come across. And I walk into this home in the Pacific Palisades. And I don't know how to describe this. And I just finished a master's in counseling psychology. I looked at the people, Petra. They were actually looking at each other and talking to each other. And I could sense love between them. And I had never encountered that. And I just started to cry. My knees got weak. I went over by the fireplace. And it turns out that next week there was a transformational seminar called Insight Seminars, the Awakening Heart. This is 1981. And I just, you know, I just went into this room, and in five days I let go of so much pain. I connected with a very profound center inside. And having the spiritual included and having the understanding and tools to actually work with myself mentally and emotionally, the maturing just started to come together. And then I was hired by the University of Santa Monica. They offer, at the time, they offered master's degrees programs in spiritual psychology where there was also very deep transformational work done while you were gaining your master's. And I just came into my own. So I joined their faculty, taught there for 16 years, started my practice. And it's really just been that way ever since. It's almost like, the, you know, when you plant a seed in the ground in a garden and, you know, nothing's coming up. You wonder if anything's happening. But then at a certain point, it just starts coming out of the ground. And that's just what's been happening ever since then. Um, and I mm-hmm. just am eminently curious about every aspect of what it's like to be human, you know, who mm-hmm. we are, what are similarities. And it seems to me, thankfully, if it was just like, well, there's good and bad or light and dark, that doesn't really help me. But when I discovered that our truest nature, our core nature, is the soul and it's love, and that can be built upon, that's solid ground. And I just, I'll continue building that until the day that I die. Mhm, mhm. Well, it is uh, it is amazing um, when we come from families, you know, where communication isn't on the yeah. uh, on on the foreground, you know, and so suddenly you're experiencing something that where people are actually talking to each other and and really sharing from the heart or from the soul level. Yeah. And that is, yeah. a, I experienced this also when I went to India. Uh, I remember being very close to my family, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, cousins, Mm. but I still noticed in myself as a young, young child even that they were talking in words that Mm. weren't really connecting to each other. 
There right, wasn't really right. a love language within the within the family that existed. Yeah. So the yeah. love language was um, in the German style or Bavarian style. It was more about external things, and I wanted yeah. to find my own love language, and I couldn't find the love language that I needed to fill my heart and my soul yeah. within the family structure. So I had to step out of that and find it by counseling my friends, even at 11 or 12 years of age. Yeah. You know, I was always doing therapy and always counseling people around yeah. me, even in kindergarten, you know. <laughs> so that's like, yeah, I, I hear feelings. you. Instinctively, it just happened, and it was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and so it was in India, actually, and then later on when I started studying, when I began to study psychology or in London, I took a lot of psychology classes there, mm. that I learned to have uh, different communication styles and able to really speak a love language that could resonate within myself. So so this is, I know exactly that feeling that you're talking about when you stood by the yeah. fireplace and your knees became wobbly because you had that final, like you finally arrived home. You finally yeah. arrived at the center of where you needed yeah. to be. So that's very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have clients come to see me, and let's say it's a man, and he and his wife are having a problem, and he says, you know, I never tried counseling, so he comes in. It happens so often, and they know that I do soul-centered, but, he, you know, he said, I know my wife's really into this stuff, but I don't, you know, I'm not spiritual. I said, okay, but then I would ask him a couple questions. I said, you know, I'd love to hear from you if you, if you know what's some of the deepest experiences you've had in this life. And he'd look, go, well, you know, I remember when my daughter was born and she came out of my wife and I experienced a level of bliss and oneness. I profoundly moved, crying, but not because I was sad. It was just such an expanded sense of self. And then he might say, and then there was a time when I was on the East Coast in the the fall and the leaves were dropping and there was this one walk where it seemed to me it lasted a hundred years, and I just knew I was at home in the universe. I said, but I, I don't know how to get back there. And I said, well, that's what we're talking about. It's not a word level. It's not spiritual or anything. It's just called depth of connection with self. And most haven't even had a chance to even, one, know it's there, two, be around people who might invite them towards it, and three, have the experience but it's like lighting a fire, just like lighting a fire. So. Mm-hmm. Coming back, uh, what I also noticed over the years is that uh, coming together with uh, in gatherings and music mm-hmm. and out of being out in nature, I, I think yeah. that uh, there's much to be said for being in nature and, and, and spending more time with, in the outdoors. Uh, yeah. that can bring back that feeling. Now, I know that you have shared with me that you're an avid uh, canoeist uh, or <laughs> <laughs> that you spend a lot of time in the water, even when it's raining and cold. <laughs> yes, even when it's raining and cold. Well, I moved from the desert in Los Angeles up to the northwest. I've always wanted to live up here. But I've been here for 10 months in Portland. I really had no idea how dramatically my 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 body and my consciousness responds to the landscape that I'm in because of the green and the water. And, yeah, I got a canoe, 
it's a small solo canoe, and I just go up one of these alpine lakes near us and just spend the whole morning on the water. And so, yes, like that story I told of that man, I'm aware. It's like, how do we put a straw down in our drink and just get the rich, richer waters and the richer connection with ourselves? I, I, I firmly believe that having a courtship with ourselves, much like you'd have a courtship with a lover, but this is a courtship that no one can ever leave you once you have it, and it just continues to get deeper. And um, I'm just amazed how much depth that we have. And most of us really have no clue. Usually something happens that's very painful that makes us relook or reach out or check in. And then something can begin to open up. And I'm just grateful to be somebody who offers a workshop where that can take place or a one-on-one. It's, it's a privilege to be welcomed into someone's inner hero's journey. I love that, and in the hero's journey, <laughs> that should be a title of a book, Gavin. Now you have uh, to tell us a little bit about this new workshop that you have. Planned. Yeah, well, I, I I taught it, I designed it in um, 2006, and it was called Sacred Passages. And the reason I use that term, it came to me, is that I I see that we're all of us are going through sacred passages, potent times in our lives, a breakup of a relationship. Maybe someone dies. Maybe there's a new relationship. Maybe there's a career transition. So I designed an 11-month program, which I now call Soul-Centered Living, where it's experiential. It's held in, in the beauty of nature. I integrate poetry, small group, very intimate, um, dance, um, ceramic pottery, and we we're together, and we're really like in an incubator. Remember the incubators they used to have when you were a little kid that would hold the eggs that would turn into chicks. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what I offered. Mm-hmm. It was you know a Saturday and a Sunday, and then one Sunday a month for the next ten months, because in my experience, people can open up very wide and have powerful realizations. But the trick is to integrate those into your life so that you don't just then go back to the way things were and, um, in a way, have that depth of experience be a memory. Um, so mm-hmm. doing work and support over time, I found, is, is mm-hmm. the best orientation, whether it's counseling or the master's degree program where I taught or in my Soul Centered Living series. Beautiful. So when, also, is, when is your next course starting? Well, good question. I'm just getting settled here. I've got this wonderful home in northeast Portland. Um, I'm building friendships with wonderful people like you and Jerry. I envision having a home where I can actually do this work out of my home. It would just be incredible. But I haven't done it. I haven't taught that program for about five years. My family has gone through some extraordinary challenges. But I'm meeting with someone this week to talk about beginning, let's say, in every other weeknight soul-centered living series that would be experiential, would include poetry, include movement and visualization, and very brave, open-hearted sharing about what we're discovering. Very exciting. So how can how can people find out about that, Kevin? Do you have a, a website? Do you want to share uh, the website? I'm interviewing Gavin sure. Fry, counselor and mentor, 
And uh, can you give us the details of uh, the website, please? Sure, of course. It's it's my name. I made it very easy. So G-A-V-I-N-F-R-Y-E, Fry Like the Booth. So GavinFry.com, where you can see what I look like. You can read how I approach the work that I do. Uh, there's a brochure there for a program. I, I'm not I'm not ready to do the 11 months, but I, I think it will be soon. But anything that I'll be doing would be available through the website. And there's a wonderful blog on it as well. I'm very, very much into nature and the healing power of nature and also a poetry um, laced with wisdom. So the, my blog has quotes, stories from me, beautiful nature pictures, and poetry, and if you ever need deep nourishment, you or your listeners going to the blog can be a very can be pray profoundly uh, comforting. That's that's fantastic. So, what do you think of living in Portland so far? <laughs> I am so astonished. I just love the city. I love the city. It's got all these different boroughs. It's green. It's wet. I mean, there's seasons. I've now experienced the spring, and I've experienced the fall. And uh, I love the rain. I get depressed if it doesn't rain. I, I find myself really <laughs> wishing I had moved here 40 years ago. Um, the other thing I find that's really quite remarkable is people aren't as pretentious here. They're not as involved with just themselves. They're very friendly, genuinely friendly there's a lot of creativity here um even the way the city is run the way the government is run the transportation it's really a highly functioning city versus los angeles which is i never wanted to have anybody come visit me in los angeles from out of town what would i do get on the freeway for an hour and a half to go to universal studios or something this is this is just I'm just so happy I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> well, welcome to Oregon. Welcome to Oregon. Thank you. Thank you. We love Thank it. you. Yeah, and I'm, so, I know my um, work will be, people will be very receptive to my work here, but I'm, an, I'm also someone who likes to do things in, in right timing, and that time is coming. Even you inviting me on your mm -hmm. show was an indicator that I'm about to open back up and extend my work in new ways and in ways up here. And, uh, well, thank you for coming to the book signing in Roseburg. That was very sweet oh, that you visited us. Yeah. That was really fun. It was really fun. Yeah. And, you know, I it have was. a great video of you singing your heart out. You do realize <laughs> that's going to be on the internet. <laughs> I didn't know somebody took a video. We were... So for those of you listening at the party, which was, what, night before last, we, uh, you know, someone came who played the piano, her and her husband, he plays the drums, and she had all these songs, all the most well-known songs, Unchained Melody, Beatles songs, classics, and we were all around the piano just crooning our necks out. <laughs> it was incredible, just incredible how powerful music is. So I caught you laughing on on audio on video, Gavin. When you started when you started singing Georgia. So, oh yeah. And, yeah. And you were a little bit early, and it was really funny because I recorded exactly that piece for about one and a half minutes, 
of you just mm. absolutely uh, laughing out loud. <laughs> you have the greatest <laughs> laugh. So. Oh, it comes thank you. definitely it wasn't... from the belly and the heart. <laughs> well, thank you. It wasn't always that way. I mean, I was depressed for quite a few years, and then I was just felt so unworthy. I didn't have a clue who I was, that there was a gold mine inside. Um, mm-hmm. But there's something about finding you know, the, the authentic us. That um, so yeah, it just so happens there's a whole lot of playfulness and a whole lot of laughter in there. Um, mm-hmm. So and it, it really helps when doing the work with people in consciousness because some of the things people have gone through, like myself, like you have, it's just it's amazing to me the horrific experiences many people have had. So to go in there and revisit those, if that's what's to be done, and then. You know, and and be with the suffering, and really allow the, you know, the mm-hmm. the heartache. But when it's allowed, it can then move along like a weather front. And I'm always astonished at how laughter is a perfect complement to intensity and depth. It's just perfect. So mm-hmm. it serves mm-hmm. me well. It serves me well. That is that is so true. Can you speak a little bit on? Uh, the subject of depression and and perhaps um, the listeners out there right now, if you're listening, I'm interviewing uh, Gavin Fry, mentor extraordinaire and uh, Mm. psychologist. He uh, just recently entered our lives, so we're very grateful to have friendship with you, Gavin. And Mm. Gavin moved here from Los Angeles and lives here in Oregon now, and hopefully we will have a a lot of wonderful times together and, and more yeah, incredible work. So when if when you speak of your own depression or your own you know mm. challenges, can you give some advice to the listeners that are uh, yeah. on the radio right now? Yeah, I've had my home, my own, my my two sons have pretty difficult challenges that include depression. It's one of the most, it's one of the deepest levels of suffer, suffering that I've encountered. Because it's as if we're disconnected from the rhythm and from the flow of life. And not only are we disconnected, so we're like a ghost watching ourselves. We don't know why. We typically have been told things often about, you know, we've been shamed or um, we're not okay. Um, And so we have all these inaccurate stories about ourselves that don't they're not really supportive they're not really true and typically when we're depressed i know what i did i I would isolate myself so then it would be further it would just continue cycling uh, away but i have a remarkable relationship with depression really with any experience being human but depression there's a book by mm, what's his name thomas moore called care of the soul and it's about cultivating a relationship with soul presence and soul energies. And he has a chapter title, Petra, that says, The Gifts of Depression. And so depression is a very common experience in life. It's one of the cycles. It's like when you, the winter, um, you know, the, the leaves fall off and it looks like they're dead, but they're just really getting ready for the spring. And to, to allow depression, so when I work with someone, what I had to do with myself and I work with someone, Someone would come in and say, you know, I've been depressed for three years and I just want to get away from it. And I said, well, I don't know if I'll 
actually able be able to help you because my my direction will be to assist you going back into it and going into it deeply because mm-hmm. uh you're depressed for a very good reason there's some place inside of you that's under extreme duress it has needs you may not know what they are but this is a time when having outer support loving compassion and actually beginning to do things on your own behalf when you don't even feel like it. Like when we move and we're in dynamic action, it's very hard to be depressed. Um, but typically I find depression is related. It might be a first layer of, like of, of how we experience ourselves, but underneath it often can be tremendous grief, can be rage. Giving permission for whatever's present to just continue to come forward, have it safety to express itself so that there can be an understanding. In a way, self-discovery is a natural process. And I, as a counselor, when I'm teaching a workshop, I just create a space where who someone is and whatever it is that's in there that hasn't seen the light of day and that is looking for love. And so typically... Once getting a hold of like a connection with who we are, like a vibrant core, that's often where people who come to me with depression, they have an opportunity to access a depth. And if they do, the depression really moves right along. It's really almost like a symptom in some ways mm-hmm. well, what's of so being disconnected from self. Mm-hmm. And what's so interesting right now to me is that you mentioned Thomas Moore, Care of the Soul, because of all mm-hmm. the books that I've had in my library, this is the number one book. No kidding, that you love it too. I used to share with people in my bookshop. Mm-hmm. I used to own a bookstore, and this was a book I told everybody to get when uh, yeah. in the days when I was in Roseburg. And what I love about Care of the Soul is this. Coming from Germany, it's quite a mm. different culture where people typically are not putting on airs or putting on a facade. If they, if someone's feeling bad in a checkout mm-hmm. line at the grocery store and they don't yep. feel like smiling, I tell you what, you will not get a smile. But when I yeah. came to the United States, I was really amazed how everyone, you know, I would I would go somewhere and everybody was always happy. Happy, happy, happy. Mm. But I could feel that it was sort of a an overlay or a facade of mm-hmm. something and something mm-hmm. deeper yeah. was going on. And so for me, it was very challenging at first coming to this country where I, I you know, transitioning from Germany where everybody wears their their mood on their sleeve in the moment. Mm-hmm. So whatever they're yeah. feeling, that is what you get in the moment. And then yeah. you have in America people where... You know, you're told you got to look happy. You have to make sure you're expressing joy somehow if you're in public. And if you're not, then maybe you should just stay home. So what I noticed is that people in Germany have started to get a, a really, really a remarkable appreciation for my own culture mm. while I was living mm. in the U.S., noticing that while it was easier for me in my personality to be here in the States where everybody was always happy and, and you yeah. know, smiling and positive, and I would go back to Germany and have that trans- transition period again of being mm. uh, around people who were not necessarily expressing joy and yeah. how that would affect me. 
And I, through that book, Care of the Soul, I noticed very clearly that when I was depressed or when I was down or I had an off day and mm-hmm. I had to force myself, so to speak, to come out of myself in my own griefing or my own uh, uh, sadness to pretend mm-hmm. that I was happy, it would really, really affect me. And so yeah. I started teaching my students that, you know, the greatest gift you have is when you're experiencing an emotion. Mm. Like you know, I love being melancholy because that is when I do my best yeah. writing. I love yeah. being isolated and sad sometimes because yeah. it's, o- it's okay to, be, to cry on the lake or to just yeah. completely pour your heart out to spirit when you're not feeling like you want to interact with a bunch of people. And I don't think we get enough alone time. And I think that people are are forced too much to to, uh, put on airs of of joy and happiness outwardly to be okay. That's just my opinion about it. You're right. And it's it's something they're even doing often. They don't even know why they're doing it. The whole premium or primary importance of cultivating really is the most important thing, a, a, mm-hmm. an in-depth relationship with oneself. I mean, then everything else shifts. And I love what you said about the writing in the sad. It's not to me about parking there. There was a book, one of my favorite books, because I love Lincoln, of all the people who mm-hmm. lived in history, how he lived, who he was, what he did, and there was a book I wrote, I read, it's my favorite of him. It's called Lincoln's Melancholy and How It Fueled His Greatness. And he was in touch with a depth of wisdom. He was in touch with sorrow. He would go to the telegraph office down the street from the White House, and he would hear the latest news from the front. And there's, really, there'd be 8,000 people might die in one day, and he would just weep and weep while he gets the news and he'd weep all the way home and he still had the responsibility for how to direct the country in the war but he didn't keep his heart closed it was wide open and he even lost a son while he was in office to a disease and it was his cherished son so one of the things that i think i really appreciated is a statement what is most personal is at the same time most universal. So for me, with my friends, but also in my work, if someone is willing to be real about whatever they're dealing with, and in, in particular if they happen to feel ashamed about it and they're, they're keeping it back, and they risk telling me about it, it's truly the best gift anybody could ever give me because it's what's most real and alive. And... We need to be seen by others. We need to tell ourselves, reveal ourselves to others. We need to be witnessed in our growing. Um, mm-hmm. And our, our educational system does, does not provide much of any of that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, recently I was asked by my marketing director to get ready to do a TED Talk. And mm-hmm. I started to feel sort of this, um, how can I describe that? It was... It was a a a, uh, a feeling of dread in the moment when was she it said, "Threat? You should yeah. get you should get ready for a TED talk." 
And I thought, oh, my God, does she even know what that entails, being on a TED Talk? That's a really big deal. There are millions of people on there. Millions of people hear that talk. I can't make a mistake. You know what I did? I went to the to the library and, and, and looked for a book on TED Talks, and I found a book, mm. and then I ordered the audio files on it so I could listen to uh-huh. it in my car. For oh. it, it was the CEO of TED Talk that uh, spoke on what it is that they're looking for when they interview people to be on a TED Talk. Yeah. And one of the main themes around all this was authenticity. Like if yeah. you are coming from your own pain, from your own suffering, it doesn't matter what you've gone through in your life, but if you're coming yeah. truly from, your, from the space within yourself that is yeah. core of who you really, yeah. really are, then people pick that up. And they then yes. can empathize and have compassion for you. It doesn't matter how perfect your talk is or even what the subject is, as long as you're speaking from the heart. Because yeah. if people see through the story. They see through yeah. it. And yeah. so I'm ready for a TED Talk now, Gavin. I'm ready. Well, this is really great. I'm because... a fool of myself. <laughs> well, here's what I loved is that she she mentioned it. You were viscerally aware of a feeling Almost, I don't know if it would be accurate, but it sounds like it was a younger, afraid place, insecure. Is that, am I with you? So oh, for absolutely. You, it had to be for, perfect. It had to be perfect. Yes. And it's never going to be perfect. Oh, my God. You know, what if I fail? But, I'm so, you know, I can't fail. <laughs> right. But so. what it's, I know, you told me about this the other day. It's like you knew that she was right. It was the next step. So what was great about what you did is the way, let's say, a, a very wise father to a young child, you said, you know what? Let's go get some information. Let's find out and just get oriented to what that might be. It's almost like, let me hold your hand and let's just keep going. We're going to go this way. And you can tell me if you're afraid, that's fine. Um, But we're going to find out about how to set this all up from people who know about it. And they can give us reassuring information. And and I'm here. We can do this together. Mm Mm-hmm. That's exactly. wonderful. Maybe how about you and I head towards TED Talk at the same time? Oh my God, let's do one together. That would be great, like an interview. Can, <laughs> do they do? Well, we could do one part. We could do it diff. We could do it separate. We could, if it, if you'd find it to me, I'd really love to have not just you do it, me do it, but that it would be something from very authentic place inside that we would be flourished. It'd be captured. People would receive whatever they receive. But you and I could march toward that, around that, you know, that track and field. You know, we can go around the field and do it together. If that would be supportive and fun, I would love to do that with you. That would, that would be, let's, let's, let's go in that direction. I'm excited <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. TED Talk, whenever I was watching TED Talks, and I watch a lot of them because I love, love, love learning from some of the, you know, greatest yeah. in this field. And there are so many fabulous subjects on YouTube. When you, uh, for the listener right now, if you wonder what a TED Talk is, you can go on YouTube and just uh, uh, type in TED Talk. And you can find just about any subject on an expert that speaks on the subject, whether it's a near death or whether it's something about science or mm-hmm. food or the economy or politics. You can find it on TED Talk, and there's some extraordinary people on there. So there I are, and you're uh, talking about surprised. it. 
yeah, you're talking about it, and we're talking about authenticity and about life journey. Um, you, I'm sure you read the book Eat, Love, Pray by Elizabeth Gilbert. Yes. Well, actually, my editor no? of my book uh, compares my book to that book. So, uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I've read oh, that book great. probably 50 times so far. Yeah. Well, and there's an example. It's not a TED Talk, but she's so revealing about her own process and her own frailties and what she's learning. And, of course, she's just participating wholeheartedly. And I saw she did a TED Talk. And well, here's mm-hmm. what she was talking about. She was saying, she was struggling with she had she was so i mean millions and millions of copy a film i mean it was just like the apex of her life outwardly and then she was struggling because she figured i'll never be able to do that again so what do i do with my life now and she was really struggling and the talk is about authenticity and the talk is about really it's not about me trying to get something else like that to happen it's just to keep opening wide to what's the next um, season of experience. What's that? And it could be inward, could be outward. It's like, what's the next one? And, and the crucial ingredients that allow us to support ourselves in just being present with the depth of whatever is unfolding for us and engaging mm-hmm. with it and being willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And and for you, the listeners out there, again, I'm interviewing Gavin Fry, who lives in Los, in uh, uh, Portland now, but is originally from Los Angeles. We're talking about his work and his incredible counseling and mentoring that he's been doing for 35 to 40 years. And thank uh, God he's here with us in Portland, and we have him uh, to uh, share time together. Uh, we are in the process of uh, doing some amazing things. And now our conversation about TED Talks and being authentic or being letting your soul come through, so many young people, so many teenagers I meet and so many young people in their early 20s are uh, often living in situations that are not favorable for them, may perhaps because of of uh, family environments that aren't supportive or, or school systems that weren't supportive or whatever we we uh, have experienced with that. I uh, highly suggest that you check out um, information about Gavin Fry at www.gavinfry, and that is G-A-V-I-N-F-R-E-Y-E.com. Gavin has uh, extraordinary skills to help people uh, work through their issues, and he is an amazing spirit and warm-hearted and wonderful. So, uh, Gavin, do you have an email address or phone number that you can share with people? Yeah, or not sure. sure about I have all both. your information? Sure, okay, thank you. you. The mm-hmm. the email is tied to my website, so it's gavin at gavinfry.com, so G-A-V-I-N at Gavin Fry, F R Y E dot com. My phone number for my cell is 805 320 1224. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm, and yeah. I just want to thank you for being on the show with us. I couldn't believe 50 minutes already went by. So I know. Fast. It I was know. Like 15 minutes. <laughs> so I know. We, are <laughs> we, just got, we just got started. We're just getting going well, yeah. here, Gavin. 
And could I, I'm glad. And could I indulge you for 30 seconds while I read a very powerful poem? Absolutely. Good. It's, it's called, it's by Helen Keller. And it's by Life is a Daring Adventure. She says, security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature. Nor do the children of humanity as a whole experiencing it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is a daring adventure or nothing. To keep our faces turned toward change and behave like free spirits in the presence of fate is strength and undefeatable. Thank you. I love that. Yeah, insecurity is an illusion. We are all (laughs) seeking it. And then when we have it, we realize we can't really hold on to it. <laughs> and it's only very temporary. Like if the house gives me security, no, it's going to fall apart. And, you know, a, a flood could yeah. come on, an earthquake, and it's gone. Yeah. Like with the poor people in Italy and, and everywhere else in the world, there's all yeah. the disasters that are going on. So that uh, teaches us that the only constant is change. And embrace mm. the change, and life will be a lot easier. I think uh, that's why I've always felt that living out of a suitcase gives me a certain security because I can't really lose anything except the suitcase. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for so, thank you for having me, Petra. Thank you for being on the show, Gavin. Uh, thank you, listeners, beautiful listeners, beautiful people in this world, Portland, Oregon, or wherever you may be tuning in. Uh, I just want to uh, speak a little bit about the Seven Insights Quantum Transformation Workshop. We have uh, delaying the show. If you go on my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash transformational story coach, you can see the posting for that. There will be a recorded call tomorrow. If you sign in, you can be part of the nine-week series. Tomorrow's subject will be the second insight called paradigms. We will discuss what paradigms are. If you're not familiar with that word, a paradigm is, for example, something that you grow up with, a storyline that uh, comes from your ancestors and your family. Paradigms are like frames around us that tell us socially how to behave or how to be in this world. And once in a while, we need a paradigm shift in order to come out. So when people talk about paradigm shifts, they're very powerful because it propels you forward in your life to look perhaps at life from a different angle, from a different view. So this will be something we'll talk about tomorrow. If you want to be part of that nine-week series, just contact me via email or on Facebook. Message me. Again, I am having so much fun doing this show and uh, would uh, love to uh, invite more and more incredible people on here. We have a book signing coming up in Grants Pass uh, with uh, a lady that I interviewed a few weeks ago. Her name is Sharon Bauer, and she's a medium. We're doing a a show in uh, a bookstore there that will be posted on the Facebook page as well. And again... To all of you listeners, have a glorious day. Go for a walk. Smell the wonderful nature, spirits, and the beautiful Oregon weather today. At least here in Lake Oswego, it is absolutely sunny, not a cloud in the sky. Enjoy yourself and catch some sun rays. Arrivederci. Ciao.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.